Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today we have a special guest joining us all the way from Massachusetts. Mary Reagan is a former educational tutor, small business owner, and author. Her latest book, Life Flashes, a memoir, is out now. So, my dear Mary, welcome to the RV. Good to talk with you, Lucia. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, of course, you are very welcome. And Mary, I just checked the weather in Massachusetts today, and it's chilly. It's like 28 degrees. Is that correct? Mm, it's about, it, it's actually a little warmer than yesterday. It's 32 oh, <laughs> degrees. Okay. And, but, it's still. Uh, but it's been, it's been very cloudy and gray for about a week. So we're looking forward to uh, looking forward with seeing sun again at some point. Actually, this is, uh, you know, this is generally typical weather for February, but we've had a very mild winter in New England. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've, yeah, very mild. Hardly any, we haven't even had 10 inches of snow the whole wow. winter. That's mm-hmm. practically unheard of. That's incredible. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know if we've had six. I mean, in some parts of other parts of the state, we may have, but uh, not, not here. So um, I'm glad, I'm glad for that. I'm glad we have had a generally mild winter. So mm-hmm. when I'm looking, and we've had we've had a good amount of rain too, which means it'll be when the spring comes, it'll be absolutely gorgeous. For sure. So I'm looking forward to that seeing the flowers coming again, and it's only it's less than two months until spring. What season is it in Spain where you are? It's winter. Okay. And so what's the weather like in Spain in the winter? It's great today. I live in South Mm -hmm. Spain. So the weather is great. It's like 68 now, maybe. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Good. I confess, I don't like winter. However, what I've learned is to be that I don't have to like it, that I've learned to be at peace with it. And what it, I like what it gives me, the challenge, how it challenges my spirit and my, uh, the spirit and body, you know, just like, um, I'm a ballroom dance student. I talk a little bit about that and about ballroom dancing and life flashes a memoir, but I've been a ballroom, um, which, uh, I used to, when I, before I started ballroom dancing, I used to see people ball ballroom dancing at a pavilion an outdoor pavilion on a Sunday afternoon and I would look at them and I'd say, that is so corny. I would never do that. (laughs) And um, lo and behold, here I am uh, 14 years later, still dancing. And seven years afterwards, I became um, a serious ballroom dance student. And I found it very, and I talk about these, these things in the book. I mean, it helped me with not only dancing, I thought, I just want, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know anything. I don't know that much when I started, I didn't know that much about ballroom dance, but I, um, my parent was something my parents did. Uh, but I, 
just I just wanted to do something to go out of the house. I thought, you know, I don't want to be alone as much as I've been alone. But I found it, and I being in ballroom dance classes not only taught me about ballroom dance, taught me about um, social skills, proper nutrition. If you don't have proper nutrition, you get you become sick. You can't dance with your partner. Um, you know, eating habits. Um, it's been really, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. So, and the other thing, uh, and also uh, relationships, because when you, when I was growing up in the sixties, we were very big on uh, freestyle, what we call freestyle dancing. So you didn't have any, um, you were, you were dancing with a partner, but you had no hand, hand to hand contact. Right. But see now when in ballroom dancing, you are, you're part, you have hand to hand contact and sometimes you have core to core contact and you know if something if there's a conflict you can't walk off the dance floor it's considered very you know very rude to do that um so what dancing has helped me to do not only in dance but in relationships is to say to accept conflict when it comes and um to work through it even if it's the only thing that you can do is maybe you can't talk about it but you can extend goodwill toward your partner and that that sense of trust helps you move through the conflict, even if you can't move through with talking about it. Does yeah. that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Dancing, yeah. Yeah. just by looking at the person, mm -hmm. you know already what he means sometimes, mm -hmm. depending on the kind of... Yeah, in the beginning, I, I had... I experienced difficulty with it because your partner is called the leader and the lady is the follower. So I just had it in my head. Oh, that's, you know, followers, that's, you don't have the same power as the man. And so it took, took me a couple of years to get over, to overcome that. Cause I'm like, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna dominate me. You know, what I realized is that it, it's a cooperative. You can't be a good leader without a good follower. You can't be a good follower without a good leader. It's a, um, you know, and I remember just a little while ago, I was at dance class with one of my teachers and they're both fabulous. Oh, thank you, God. They're just very, very professional. They know their stuff. They have a good sense of humor. We can talk about things beside dance now and then. So one of the things, one of my dance teachers was saying, you know what, you really, um, I was just looking at the mirror, looking at you in the mirror while we were dancing and I can see you're all in your head. You're thinking about what am I going to do? What are my steps? How am I looking? And you just said, you know what? I've lost my partner. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, because that's really um, the fact that he says he's lost his partner means that he, you have an equal connection with him. And mm -hmm. so I realized it's really important, you know, to, uh, I've been working on that. You know, that's what I really wanted to pay increasing attention with this year is listening to your partner. Um, and um, it's it's so much easier when you're not in your head. Exactly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thinking about what you're doing, what you know, and it's in some sense, um, it's selfish just to be thinking about what you're doing, because you're not thinking about other people. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just learning to that. That's a matter of trust. The more you trust, the more you, you know, trust god the more you trust life you'll trust people around you and you'll when i when i you know when i trust and i follow just without thinking about it oh it's like it's like going on a trip going on a trip you know so anyway actually uh, 
I was reading about your memoir, Life Flashes, mm -hmm. and I, I am very curious and i think our listeners also would like to know a little bit more about you so mary have you always thought about being a writer no i actually i started writing um a few years uh three years after i graduated from college i had been in the education field i was uh, um, teaching um, elementary school children and tutoring and i was finding that although i loved children, I wasn't meant to be a teacher and I wanted to do something else, but I didn't know what. So I decided to, um, I was hired to be a freelance writer for a newspaper. Right. Um, once a week I did story, you know, I did a story, you'd go out and you'd cover a town meeting or you do a feature story and, um, you know, the town meetings you'd come back and you'd, you know, you'd have a couple of hours to write your story and that's it. And then you submit it. And then I found, as I went along that I really enjoyed doing feature stories, interviews with people. I was much more um, adept. I was adept at that in the way that I, I wasn't with, um, with news. And so, but then I, then I, I let it go because I didn't, uh, I just, I let it go. Um, writing is, is not a vocation for me. It's an avocation, but I still, I love it. And uh, I, so then I started like many things in life that I've been doing late in life. I found out that life isn't about passion, not proving. When I was a teacher, I was doing that partly, yes, because I love children, but because I was wanting to prove that I was, that's what women, a lot of women did then um, in the 60s. You either, you either run to, you were a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. So, and I didn't. I didn't know anything else. There was some changing in that, uh, in that, I mean, they were, women were changing at that time too, but I didn't, I didn't have any awareness of that. I could be anything else, but one of those three things. So, um, I, um, retired when I was 55 from working and I, I was glad to, glad to do so. I'd had a number of interesting work experiences, but I, I was glad to retire. And then I thought, well, okay, what am I going to, what am I going to do all day? And so I started writing and three years later, I, I started writing a diary and I, and I said, I'm not going to sugarcoat things, but I'm not going to wallow in self-pity because I'd written a diary before and I felt like I was just too over analytical going over and over things. And so um, that's what I started. And, and I, I'd had a profoundly life-changing spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. So I started that. And then three years um, later, that that prompted me to start writing again, too. And so three years later, I, th I think it's a book. I think this is a book. I'm going to continue on until I finish it. But I had no idea that it was going to be another 11 years before I finished it. If I had known that then, I probably wouldn't have... Um, I probably wouldn't have finished it. And I think that's why we're not always given the answers to questions that we experience about life. But the other point that I wanted to make too, is that what I've found is that again, life is about passion, not proving. And all the things that I'm enjoying, I didn't, I have, didn't intend to, I didn't intend to be a writer. I didn't intend to, to adopt a dog. I didn't intend to live where I'm living. Um, and so I'm finding that 
Passion involves allowing self to be led, led by by a being greater than who you are. And I found that dependence on this being, you know, whether one calls this being God or is it's mysterious. It makes you 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 actually become increasingly independent, not dependent, which is what I when I didn't realize what true faith was, I thought, oh, I'm not gonna do that's a crutch, you know. And um, but true faith does enable you to be fully, fully independent. It's just it's it's a mystery. If it's not a mystery, it's not faith. Life's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> Life's a trip. And yeah. And Mary, what motivated you to write a memoir like Life Flashes that blends elements of a day diary, biography, and as you were telling us, spiritual commentary? Well, I thought, I think, you know, I chose the diary form and I, I think it was actually chosen for me. I, I don't think, I don't remember saying, geez, I'm going to write it in diary form, but I think it was chosen and I accepted that. And I think uh, the reason that I, that I grew into that form was because I, it enabled me to talk about what was going on within me, heart and soul. It was, it would encourage me to be honest and, you know, and but as I was going along, I also thought, if you're going to write this, I probably had an idea that I wanted I wanted a large audience for the book because I thought about just keeping it local, but it, it wasn't satisfying to me. And I wanted to be able to incorporate people from all walks of life so that people could see we're all very similar and that we're, we're, uh, we're, all, we're all very similar. So, and I've just found it, I also, I think the other reason is that when I was growing up um, in, in family, we, we didn't talk about relationships that much. We didn't really know how. And so, but we, but we talked about current events a lot. And I think, you know, I know that there was, um, a downside of the fact that we didn't talk that much about relationships, but what, what I, what my parents gave me through encouraging us to talk about what was going on in the world around us was to look beyond our, our immediate circumstances and to look in the larger world. And for that, I'm very thankful because now I can, I'm able to talk to anybody. I can, I can talk to a rock. <laughs> I mean, I could, you know, I can talk with anybody. It doesn't, you know, um, it gave me that gift of connection with every, with, um, you know, with everybody being able to talk about, you know, th things going on in the world outside home. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah, and also yeah. I read that you incorporate key moments of historical record. For example, as you were telling us that you can 
talk about anything and even to Iraq. You talk about uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy, am I correct? Mm -hmm. And yes, also yes, Obama, Trump. So yeah. how do these events contribute to the overall narrative? I think, you know, I talked about many events and you can see what, what I wanted to show and what I think is clear in the book of how people evolve through the years. You wouldn't be talking about, in 1960, you would not talk, you'd be talking about Barack Obama being president. You know, in the 1960s, you wouldn't have been, uh, for example, you wouldn't have been talking about a, a worldwide COVID pandemic. You wouldn't be talking, I wouldn't have been seeing a doctor who had worked, done food science research for 30 years and he'd come up with this health plan for to that um, would enable people to be, would enable people to fight disease and lose weight, fight cravings. His name is, um, the doctor's name is, and he's been, he's healed so many people who have had cancer, um, di diabetes, heart, heart issues. Yeah. Dr. Joel Furman, he, he studied food science research for like over 30 years. And he came up, he said, if you eat a diet every day, that includes greens, onions, what do you call it? Green G bombs, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. You hydrate, you exercise, and I will add one and you, and you involve prayer in that you will be able to fight virtually any disease. And if you do come down with it, the chances are that you'll, you will um, contract a very mild case of that. And there were 200 people in the audience. I, I was watching this during the pandemic. I just fell over it. I didn't even expect to be watching it. And so I, and two, two people in the audience were women who had had uh, multiple sclerosis. They were, they'd been suffering with the disease for a long time and they were like a hundred pounds overweight because, and they were no, no taking meds and they came to him, they were at their wits end and they came to him and he said, well, let's, let's, you know, let, why don't we start you on this uh, diet? He doesn't even call it a diet, which it isn't. It's a wellness plan. Cause, because once you start eating this way, having, I had already started eating this way before I, he had talked about this plan. And I know that once you go with an increasingly green diet, you don't want to go back to, you know, fried, fried foods, greasy foods, potato chips, you know, on occasion you do. But anyway, so these two women had had MS and they went on the plan and a year later, they had no symptoms of MS, zero. Wow. That's MS yeah. are not curable. Yeah. 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 They had no symptoms. That's what I mean. And they had no symptoms. They both lost a hundred pounds and one of them had just finished running a half marathon. And not only that, I saw her in the audience. I I was like, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. And he was very, what a beautiful person. He was very, at first I thought he was really serious, um, overly serious. But then, I mean, I just saw he was, he said, you know, he was so right. He said, you know, Americans, I think people all over the world have been, ha I, I love the way he put this. He said, Americans, all uh, people all over the world have been having this illicit affair with processed food for years. And the truth is, this food doesn't like us. I mean, I nearly fell over laughing when he said he was, they were having an illicit affair with food, but he was absolutely right. 
you know? And at the end of the presentation, which was about an hour long, he received a standing ovation from the audience. I mean, it was really genuine gratitude and it wasn't, it wasn't hype. I know what, we all know what hype is. And I knew this wasn't hype. It was really from, from, from the heart in the sixties. So what I was wanting to say is if you went to a doctor in the sixties and you said, I have the flu. And he said, well, why don't you go home and eat? Um, I want you to eat lots of greens and, and, you know, lots of vegetables and pray and drink water and exercise as much as you can. They would, he, they, they would have thought you were quack, but that's how much medicine has changed since then. It changed a lot, so, a lot. And yeah, so everything, everything's, though. everything's changed, you know, um, you know, in 1961 or two, uh, 61, I met a cardinal um, in the Catholic church, who was uh, somebody who was then a cardinal and he's since passed away, a cardinal in Catholic church. And um, in, in the sixties, about 40, almost 50, near 50% of, of households in America, I don't know what the figures are around the world, were aff affiliated with religion in some way. Now it's 22%. In 1962, in the United States, they, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't pray in school anymore. Zero. And we used to pray in school in third grade, when I was in third grade, we, just for five or 10 minutes, we had like a psalm before school. And the thing that really baffles me about it, I'm not heavily religious, but it was a, a Supreme Court case, and this group of pe people, a board of regents said that, they, that, they, that there could be a prayer in school that said, Almighty God, we acknowledge depend upon, dependence upon me, and we ask your blessings upon our parents, us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Now, if the, if the students didn't want to say the prayer in school, they were allowed to not participate or leave, leave the room, but they still, the Supreme Court said, no, you, um, that it's unconstitutional. To this day, it baffles me. I mean, to me, that's a pure expression of political freedom that you don't have to, you can say it, you don't have to say it. If you don't want to say it, you can leave the room. I have no idea. And I think that that has had profound uh, consequences over the years for our country. Mm. Everything is becoming relativized. Mary, what effect do you hope or what do you hope your readers take away from your memoir? I hope that they receive inspiration. Um, they find it, they find the book inspirational, informative and entertaining. I hope they laugh. I hope they cry. I hope they wonder. Um, I hope they grieve. It helps them to grieve um, and move on. I hope it's a book that People will want to read 50 years from now. I can't yeah. wait to, to read this book. It's always on my list. And um, Mary, would you like to leave a message for our listeners today? Well, thank you for the messages. Thank you for um, lis listening to the program. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you about Life Flashes a Memoir. I hope that you will. The book is available on Amazon.com and Barnes and Noble's website. There's um, there's a website for the book. It's called MaryHReagan.com, and on the website uh, there are um, two videos. One is ten minutes long, and one is five minutes long. 
they were put on there so that would um, that would help you as read as potential readers. If you want to go to the website and say, you know, you think, oh, I don't know whether I want to read this book. Well, you go to the website. If you look at those videos, they're very short. One's ten minutes and one's five minutes. After uh, viewing those, you'll receive a full flavoring of the writing style of the book and the nature of the book. And then after that, you'll know whether you want to read it or not. So thank you again for listening and uh, good wishes. Good wishes. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Um, I hope you come back. Are you planning to write more books? I don't know. Um, right now, I've, re I've returned to writing some feature articles. And I'm enjoying I'm enjoying doing that again. Um, right now, I really want to connect with readers because I think, well, what do you you know? Why are you going to write a book if you don't want to connect with people and you know find out what their experiences are? No, I'm not writing another book right now, but I, who knows? Who knows in the future? So you know that our doors are always open for you. So just let me know, and I will invite. Oh, thank you. you. Or I will go. Yeah. If you do a um, if you do a video cast, I would love to do that. Wonderful. We'll send that we'll send that around the world. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Mary, I love the I really love the backdrop of your show. I think it's really cute. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. And remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.